Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. location this is the bruce exclusive and here's your host bruce nolan ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages welcome to another edition of the bruce exclusive a buffalo rumblings podcast i'm your host bruce nolan you can find me on twitter and instagram at bruce exclusive welcome back Bruce, you must be thinking, what, no singing intro? Listen, guys, I can't spoil you every week, okay? Sometimes you're just not going to get a singing Bruce intro, you know, and you're just going to have to accept me for who I am, which is that sometimes I sing and sometimes I talk about, you know, psychology and stuff. And other times I talk about X's and O's. And so it's an eclectic show for sure. We're an eclectic bunch, Bill's Mafia, but we can all come together this particular week to be happy that the Buffalo Bills have clinched the AFC East division title with a big victory over the Denver Broncos. And there's a narrative, just like there always is, that I want to talk about. And it's a little unique of a narrative. I hope that you've done two things. By the time you've listened to this podcast, if you haven't, you can listen to this one. Don't get me wrong. You can still go ahead and finish it. But there's two things that I want to make sure that I bring your attention to. The first is listen to Anthony Marino's Breaking Buffalo Rumblings from Tuesday evening, where he talks about letting go of the past and how this team is good enough that Bill's Mafia doesn't have to cling to the 1990s Buffalo Bills anymore. And also, I did a lot of film work this week, but not for this pod. I did a lot of film work for a YouTube film room session that I did with Eric Turner from Cover One. So if you hadn't had the opportunity to take a look at that, please go to the Cover One YouTube channel and watch that video because I think Eric and I did a pretty good job in dissecting some of Josh Allen's day from a film standpoint. I don't get a chance to do it very often especially given the fact that I am really just a a voice in the void. You know, there's no tangible construct to Bruce. He's just an idea, really a concept, if you will. And so sitting down on the film and doing things live is not something I do a lot of. But overall, I think it was a good time. I think we did a good job. Uh, And make sure you do that because I did a lot of work for film for that. And then I did a lot of work on a different type of narrative for this particular podcast. And specifically, 
the name of this podcast should have probably tipped you off as to what we're going to talk about today, but it's called the checking of Buffalo's boxes. And I want to talk about this because the bills clinched the AFC East divisional title, which they hadn't done in a while. I don't know if you heard or not. Don't know if that was really a storyline at all. You know, it was such a a low key thing that I'm not entirely sure anyone really caught it, but the checking of Buffalo's boxes is what I want to talk about. Specifically, what I want to do for this podcast, we are going to do plurality pie after the commercial break, but we're going to talk a little bit about the boxes that have been checked since Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have become the new regime for the Buffalo Bills in 2017. And yes, I intended for that to rhyme. Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, new regime 2017. There's a rap in there somewhere. I just realized it now. I don't have time to write something. Maybe we'll see what we can do later. But when they took over, all they have done since then is check boxes. And sometimes we need to reflect on the boxes that have been checked to understand why we're feeling what we're feeling. And so this is going to be kind of a preachy pod, I think, I would imagine. This is going to be sort of a psychological slanting pod. I am going to attempt to logically explain a feeling, which is kind of weird. But the feeling comes from boxes being checked. And so we're going to go through those boxes, talk a little bit about them. We're going to talk about what they meant what they represented on the shoulders of Bill's Mafia because Bill's Mafia carried a lot of weight. Each one of those boxes was like a weight on their shoulders that they were carrying. And as they get checked off, Bill's Mafia starts to feel lighter and lighter. And they start to feel really, really good from having that stuff lifted off of them. Steve Young one time famously said, Gosh, can somebody get the monkey off my back after he finally won a Super Bowl after taking over for Joe Montana and feeling like he was living in that shadow? The Bills and their team and their fans have felt like there was a monkey on their back for a long time. And it was as a result of the following things. The first and most obvious box that was checked was finish off the 17-year playoff drought. It was the NFL's longest streak at the time. And what it represented to this franchise and to this fan base was it wasn't quarterback ineptitude. It wasn't coach ineptitude. It wasn't GM ineptitude. It was something far worse than all of those things because all those things have shorter time frames. This was organizational ineptitude. And that's what it represented to this fan base. This idea that, okay, it's not my coach stinks. It's not my quarterback stinks. It's not my GM stinks. My organization is inept. My franchise is inept cursed even. And that's what 
that feeling, that box being unchecked, that's what that feeling represented to all of us. It represented the idea that there wasn't an easy fix. It wasn't just wait out Adam Gase, which is what Jets fans are thinking like. It wasn't just wait out a bad quarterback contract or wait out a GM to get fired. Each one of those things bringing with it new hope. But the more GMs and the more coaches and the more quarterbacks this team and this fan base went through, the more they started to think maybe it's not just a thing like that. Maybe this franchise is just inept. And that is a special kind of depression. It's a special kind of not having hope. It's a special kind of despair. Because you don't have the hope that if you just change this one thing, it's going to get better. The playoff drought represented that. The second box that needed to be checked was double-digit wins. First time since 1999. At the time, it was, again, stop me if you heard this before, the NFL's longest streak at the time. What did it mean? Mediocrity. Even when they broke the streak, they backed into a miracle. They didn't deserve to be there. Maybe there was another drought coming. This team just got lucky the way they could have gotten lucky in 2004 if the Steelers' backups hadn't played a heck of a game and fast Willie Parker hadn't showed up on the national scene. Maybe they just got lucky. Not having a 10-win team? Come on, folks. The Browns had a 10-win team with Derek Anderson and Braylon Edwards and Kellen Winslow and Romeo Cornell and Phil Savage. But the Bills couldn't get one? It wasn't even that they were terrible. It was the despair of mediocrity. This idea that you're not even bad enough to get a high enough draft pick so that you get something that has hope to it. And by the time you do get a high draft pick, Cam Newton goes number one, you pick Marcel Darius, Jake Locker, Christian Ponder, Blaine Gabbert, didn't really do it for you. And the timing was always off. You didn't take Aaron Rodgers because you had just taken J.P. Lossman. The timing was always off. Endless mediocrity. Box checked. The next box that got checked since Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have gotten here was a 49-game, 300-yard passer streak. And I don't mean having it for 49 games in a row. I mean not having it for 49 games in a row. Again, the NFL's longest streak at the time. What did it mean? It meant the organization was archaic. They were behind the times. It's a passing league. You had quarterbacks who weren't even good putting up 300 yards. And the farther and farther the Buffalo Bills fell behind, the more frustrating it became. Not because 300 yards is necessary to win, 
But goodness gracious, you think you're going to strike gold occasionally. In fact, that 49-game streak was a lot longer if you go with just regulation time. It's a passing league. It's a quarterback league. So it's a passing league and a quarterback league, and the Bills still can't do it. They're destined to continue to be what they are because they never caught up. That's what going 49 games without a 300-yard passer felt like. Box checked. Next box. The Bills haven't won on Monday Night Football since 1999. Why does it matter? Monday Night Football is a unique sort of animal when it comes to the national perception of a team. Why? Because the following day, there was only one game that we're talking about. On Sunday night football, on Monday, you're coming in, you're kind of split between the game coming up on Monday and all the games that happen on Sunday. Thursday night football, yeah, but it's not quite the spectacle. Monday night football has continually drawn water cooler talk the next day. And for the Buffalo Bills and Bills Mafia, it wasn't water cooler talk, it was water cooler shame and national embarrassment. That's what not winning on Monday Night Football since 1999 represented. National embarrassment, water cooler shame. Box checked. First division title since 1995. NFL's second longest streak. The Lions are still working on it. AFC East division champions. Do you know what it meant to not have that? Always going to be second fiddle. Always going to be second fiddle to Belichick. As long as Belichick's there, you're just going to be scrapping away for a wild card. Now, it's important to make a caveat here. There's a part of this that's not going to go away, Bill's Mafia. There's a part of this that's not going to go away. And it's because the Bills never toppled Brady. Brady left. Maybe the Bills would have toppled him this year, but we don't know that for sure. We know that the Patriots got dismantled because Brady left Belichick. And then Buffalo took the division. It would have been a more satisfying check of the box if Brady was still there. So I recognize that. But that's what that meant for us. It meant little brother status, second fiddle status, being in someone's shadow status. So if we add up all the feelings that Bill's Mafia was carrying around with them, you combine all of this and what you have is you felt like your team was an inept, archaic franchise stuck in mediocrity and national embarrassment in Belichick's shadow. Every single one of those boxes added another adjective or an adjective phrase to the feelings of hopelessness around this franchise. And yeah, every single year was going to be our year. Every year, we'd have a new theme. We're going to lead the charge. Whatever the theme was for that year. 
And then every year, it would just be another box that would get added. And the boxes would get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you think, I'm a fan of an organization that's an inept, archaic franchise stuck in mediocrity and national embarrassment in Bill Belichick's shadow. Each one of those boxes weighed heavy. Boxes checked. What is it now? How do you feel now about this franchise? The truth is, I don't really know. The story isn't written yet. But I do know that the difference in relief and optimism relative to what it was before and what it is now is what we're feeling now. What you're feeling now, whether you're crying or cheering or showing up to an airport, whatever it is that you're doing, that level of boxes being checked over and over and over again and each one of those things coming off our shoulders, that's what we feel. It's the difference between how bad we felt before and whatever we're feeling now. That relativity is the upside. That relativity from all of those boxes that needed to be checked, that are now checked, that feeling between having all of them unchecked and having all of them checked, that difference, that emotional swing is what we're feeling now. So we should take a minute to recognize, to look back at how far the organization has come. And that doesn't mean that there's not boxes left to check. That doesn't mean the job is done. The shirts the team was wearing after the division championship. They said one not done. And there's more boxes left to check. Let me share with you some boxes that could be checked. The first one is that the Buffalo Bills have had two NFL MVPs in their history. 1991, Thurman Thomas. 1973, O.J. Simpson. Josh Allen is an MVP candidate with two weeks to go. I wouldn't say he's an MVP frontrunner, but a lot can happen. That would be a fun box to check, wouldn't it? A playoff win hasn't happened since 1995. That seems like a pretty good box to check. Let's try and check that one this year. What do you think, Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott? And the last box to check. The Bills have never won a Super Bowl. Ultimately, the success or failure of the Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott regime will not be determined, in my opinion, by whether or not they check the boxes for league MVP or they check the boxes for Super Bowl even because there's lots of successful franchises that don't win a Super Bowl. Andy Reid was successful with the Philadelphia Eagles, never won a Super Bowl. He ended up winning one with the Chiefs. But he had a great run with Philadelphia, and they did very well. So while we recognize that they won, not done, and we recognize that there are boxes yet to be checked, I wanted to take a moment to reflect on the boxes that have been checked and recognize that whether you're crying or screaming or jumping up and down at the airport 
or sitting stoically in your living room, whatever it is you're feeling is probably a result of boxes being checked. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to do plurality pie for the Bills Broncos. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back from the commercial break. I appreciate you coming back, especially after that was kind of a weird first segment of the pod. But it just struck me as kind of a fun topic to talk about. Checking boxes. Because sometimes I think we may forget about them because we're most worried about the most recent box that we don't think about all the other boxes that have been checked and how it kind of snowballs on you in a positive way because those weights get lifted off you. So I thought it was kind of fun. So thanks for coming back. But we have some pie to dish out. We have specifically delicious plurality pie for the Bills Broncos. And the first and largest piece of the pie goes to Josh Allen, 43%. Make sure you go again and watch the film breakdown I did with Eric Turner from Cover One on the Cover One YouTube channel. You can find me retweeting a bunch of things from it on my Twitter, at Bruce Exclusive as well. But I had a chance to review a lot of very, very high-level throws from Josh Allen. You're going to start to see the narrative change around Josh Allen, and I'm preparing you for it ahead of time. Last offseason, I did a pod and another pod, a pod series, if you will, of why Josh Allen wasn't Blake Bortles and why Josh Allen wasn't Mitchell Trubisky because that was what the narrative was. This offseason, if there are haters still around, which there will be, the narrative will be that he's Carson Wentz. Had one good year, fell off the wagon. Now, if you want to say that Carson Wentz is an example of why you shouldn't give a quarterback a massive contract for one year of massive production. Okay, I can hear that, but they're not similar players. They're not similar successes. Carson Wentz's 2017 was successful for completely different reasons than Josh Allen's 2020. So I very well may have to do a pod about that. But one of the other narratives you might hear is that Josh Allen is a product of Brian Dable. Which is hilarious considering a lot of people in Bill's Mafia wanted Dable fired. But the new thing will be, well, he's a product of Brian Dable. The throws that Josh Allen is making show elite level traits. Elite level traits. There are some really, really spectacular throws that show up on film that Brian Dable has very little to do with. He did his best to scheme a play, 
but maybe someone's not open. And Josh Allen has to throw him open. Maybe there's anticipatory throws. There's reading the field appropriately. There's making good decisions that are aggressive but not reckless. Brian Dable has very little to do with any of this. Wanting to see Josh Allen succeed without Brian Dable to make sure that you have sample size that's appropriate before you give him a massive contract. Okay, I can see that. I might even make the argument myself. Just on the name of prudence. But this idea that Brian Dable is propping up Josh Allen, he's actually trash, and he's been propping up, tells me you probably weren't watching. You think you're watching Trubisky and Nagy. That's what you think you're doing. But you're not. It's not the same offense. I said this offseason that Brian Dable's offense is throwing people in the deep end. It's not the kiddie pool. It's not ankle-deep water where you don't have to worry about drowning. It is big boy offense. And Josh Allen is excelling in it. Josh Allen is the best quarterback Brian Dable's ever had. Brian Dable might be the best offensive coordinator that Josh Allen's had, but Brian Dable, if he runs a gimmicky offense that can make trash quarterbacks look good, then how come none of the quarterbacks who played in his system before this year ended with a passing yards rank above 22nd in the league? Now, all of a sudden, it's Brian Dable. I'm not saying Brian Dable doesn't go to do a good job. I do think Brian Dable does a good job. I would prefer that he stay. But this idea that we will do anything in our power to not give Josh Allen credit for anything is staggering to me. Now, all of a sudden, it's Brian Dable. I heard someone say he has an elite offensive line, a dominant offensive line. And I say, what are you looking at? Brian Winters was a starting right guard for this team for a large portion of this year. Again, I'm not saying prudence is not the name of the game here. I'm not saying let's just go ahead and give him $40 million a year because sample size is important. You know I'm going to preach that. You can't be shocked when you hear me say that. You can't be shocked that I would preach sample size to you right now. But we're not going to give him any credit at all? Now it's all Dable and a dominant offensive line. Right, right. Yeah, okay, cool. That's why Brady Quinn didn't look good in the offense. Colt McCoy didn't look good in the offense. Matt Moore didn't look good in the offense. Matt Castle didn't look good in the offense. Clearly, it's just Brian Dable. Clearly, it's just Brian Dable propping Josh Allen up. Go watch the breakdown if you haven't watched it already. Josh Allen, 43%. Stephon Diggs, 18%. What a great fit for this offense. What a great fit for Josh Allen. Stephon Diggs in the scramble drill was not something I was expecting. Mostly because Kirk Cousins was his quarterback. And they had him running a very significant portion of deep routes. Stephon Diggs was playing the Justin Jefferson in the Minnesota Vikings offense last year. But being well-versed in the scramble drill is not something I expected from Stephon Diggs. Great fit for this offense. Cole Beasley, 15%. Cole Beasley, because he's a slot player, 
And I think that most slot players are viewed as tertiary options in a passing offense. Just because we think of wide receiver three as being a slot player. And unless you're in New England recently with Wes Welker and Julian Edelman building your team around a slot receiver, featuring them highly, you think about them like tertiary options. Cole Beasley is a secondary option. This is a good passing offense with a slot receiver as the secondary option. He's a really good player, and I'm happy he's on the Bills. Trey White, 5%. Sack, force fumble, two pass breakups, zero yards allowed in coverage. Trey White, worth every penny. Other, 19%. So plurality pie, Josh Allen, 43%. Stephon Diggs, 18%. Cole Beasley, 15%. Trey White, 5%. Other, 19%. In total, 100% of a delicious plurality pie. Bills Mafia, thank you for being here with me today for this episode of the Bruce Exclusive. Come back tomorrow. We'll have another chat. We'll talk about the Patriots. I have a lot of almighty takes to get through. But until next time, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. This is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.